here um, with you again. Um, had a good time this morning with the um, crew that showed up for uh, the Sunday school class. Uh, thank you for that. If you have questions about RUFI, I won't say a whole lot during the, our time here. Um, please ask me. There are a few cards on the back table back there. You can email me and um, inquire or ask, and Fritz can always find me uh, pretty easily. Uh, I mentioned an app that uh, I, I said I would try to think. I think it's called Operational World. Operation World um, is the app, and that basically is just a daily reminder of different nations and countries to pray for um, if you're looking for how you can be more aware of what's going on in uh, the world. So um, with that, I'll just uh, move into uh, our sermon this morning. We uh, certainly live in a day where um, we have... We have seen a lot of needs and a lot of hurts uh, been revealed. Um, it's been said many times that COVID didn't cause um, most of the problems. It just revealed the problems that were already there. And uh, it has led to a number of conversations that we've no doubt been in where we've bumped up against um, maybe just some hard things to say um, and even hard things to hear. I think about uh, those hard conversations and difficult and awkward moments. Um, unfortunately, we, we've all had opportunities and um, situations where we end up in a funeral home. And um, those are some of the most awkward times because you really don't know what to say or how to, to respond. Um, particularly if you don't know the person real well, um, it becomes uh, challenging and you basically just kind of don't say anything a lot of times. Um, this message today really um, thought about that as, as we really see Jesus basically in a funeral parlor, um, except he's outdoors. Uh, but he is going to engage in a conversation, which is often hard to do at a funeral. Um, but I think there are things here that we can learn about his presence um, but also his purpose. And so I see that in the outline there that it has three things. That was the outline that I gave, but it was incomplete at that point. So um, we're going to break it down and, and do his presence and his purpose. Let me read our scripture text. We are in Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 17. This is God's word. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. 
and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Would you pray with me? God, as we open your word here, we, if honest, confess that we have burdens and issues that nobody sees. But as we will see in this passage, nothing escapes your eyes, and you know. For some, it may be difficult to sit here and concentrate as their minds wander to other places and things. But God, I ask for your spirit for just a few moments that you would take these words and what is true and you would pierce our hearts. You would open our eyes to see new and fresh the wonder of what happens as you show up in somebody's life. God, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, this is the Sunday after Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a a tricky time for, for pastors because we recognize that while it is a glorious celebration. It is also often a, a very hard reality uh, for some mothers. And we have a passage here that is certainly uh, fitting of, of such a, a day um, as it reflects upon a mother and her lost son. Not long after we moved to Clemson to begin the ministry there, um, we got to know, I got to know really quickly a, a brother, and uh, soon after his son uh, took his own life. Uh, It was a young uh, son, a teenager, and as we um, walked alongside them, I say we, the church, and and just the community, uh, just witnessed um, the strength of God in their lives. But what struck me maybe most was at the funeral when Rob stood up to share And one of the things that he shared, he said, I know that many of you have questions, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and we want to answer those questions. His son had had struggled with some mental illness, and they said, we know that this is a hard conversation, but we are inviting you to come and talk with us. And I just thought, what an invitation. What an ability, what a, what a trust that they showed at that time. I appreciated that invitation because what he did was he provided a way forward through what was an awkward and very difficult conversation, interaction. This passage really is Jesus providing us a way through and helping us understand not just a way through death as only He can walk, but how we as His people 
who have His Spirit might walk with others and demonstrate the same presence and purpose in life. So I want us to look at this passage under His presence, which I will look at where I would say He sees, He acts, and He speaks, and then also His purpose. So what do we notice, what do we recognize here about Jesus in this passage? The first thing that we see is that He saw a woman. Now, Jesus is walking into this town. Let me give you the picture. He's accompanied by a large crowd. And the words are actually different in the description of the crowds. The crowd is described as a great crowd that follows Jesus, which may mean as many as a thousand people. It's actually the same word that's used of the multitude when Jesus feeds uh, the, the people in the, on the hillside. But as they approach this small town called Nain, he looks and he sees that a man is being carried and he's moving out of town. Luke tells us that this is the funeral of a widow mother and her dead only son suggesting that life is now going to become very difficult for her. that she now was bearing the enormous sorrow and pain of her son that has died. She's followed by what it calls a considerable crowd. Estimates are three to five hundred probably because that would have been about the population of Nain. And these two crowds meet. And Jesus laser-eyed focus sees this woman. No doubt he was alert to many things. All the things kind of going on in the crowd. The fact that he had his disciples who he would entrust and he would leave the keys to the kingdom to go out and to, to serve and to, to, to take the baton and, and, and take that mission were, were present there. There were mourners. They had professional mourners in those days that were mourning. He was aware of those. And certainly aware that these people who were carrying this son in this, in this casket, if you will, he's aware of them and the weight that they bear in not just physical but just emotional. But it seems a little strange that he, instead of going to the dead son, he goes to the woman. He sees. I wonder what it is that keeps you from seeing. What it keeps me from seeing what's going on around me. It's been hard to see people with, with like this, hasn't it, for, for the last year it seems. It's so refreshing now to see people's full face and, and kind of get the emotion. It's, it's hard to preach to people like that. I don't know if you're yawning or you're smiling or you're talking to yourself. I don't, I don't know. But Jesus sees. And it leads Luke to describe something about him that he says he was marked with compassion. 
There was something about Jesus and, and his persona and the way that he carried himself and, and just his demeanor that, that he had compassion on this woman. Maybe it was his eyes. He, he, there's softer eyes. Maybe it was his, the pace in which he walked. But Jesus sees. And I struggle to see. I think sometimes I struggle to see because the pace of my life is much faster than the three mile per hour that Jesus was walking. I'm preoccupied. I'm, I'm on to the next thing. Fritz makes fun of me when I'm in an airport because I'm, I'm on a mission. And I fear that that's the way I live most of my life, just getting on to the next thing. Always headed somewhere with something to do. But haven't you had those people in your life that had that ability to sit down and treat you like you were the only person in the world I remember Scott Warner, I was at an event years ago where I was kind of the low man on the totem pole amongst other people that had been my hero and um, heroes. And, and I walk in and this, this friend of mine, Scott, he, he, he came up behind me and, and he pulled up a chair right next to me. And all these, in my mind, famous people were just walking around. And he talked with me. He saw me. Somehow, I don't seem to have the margin in my life to see, even as Jesus sees. We know that Jesus was able to see, I think partly because of what Luke says earlier in this gospel, in chapter 5, verse 15, he tells us that Jesus, when he was with the crowds, that he would also often get away by himself. And what we learn of Jesus is that Jesus' doing grew out of his time that he took to be. Are you taking time to be before you do? Because I fear that if we don't, then we end up just doing and doing and we miss. We don't slow down enough to see. We don't know what to say. Maybe that's the reason we don't see. Maybe we, it's that awkwardness and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to um, contribute to the, the situation. We'll come back to that in a moment. I think what I want us to just see, pun intended, in this passage is a Savior who isn't too busy to see. To see you right where you are today. Whatever you've got going on. That who knows himself and his purpose so well that that doesn't get in the way of him seeing. Is that comforting to you? It may scare you. It can be scary. Are you aware that there is this man sent by God that came to seek out the sick and the needy? That those who have been wrecked by the effects 
of sin in their life, that live in this sinful and broken world, that there is a man that walked this earth, and his name was Jesus, and he saw that this man of God shows up to small towns and engages women with no name mentioned. And it reminds me that there are no small, small towns and insignificant towns and no small people in the eyes of Jesus. He stops the procession of death. Do you see that? He moves right toward her and he begins to interact. He sees this woman. He sees all of the need that she has. What does Jesus see in her is a valid question, but what does he see in you? What weights and burdens are you bearing? What is it in your life that is broken? Where is the presence of death for you? The man of God walks among his people and his world today. For Jesus, he not just sees, but he now speaks. Look what he says to her. It almost seems insensitive. Do not weep. How do you think he said that? Do not weep. Don't weep. No. He's marked with compassion, right? Do not weep. There's tenderness in his voice. I was outside working a few weeks ago, and there's a couple of little kids in our neighborhood, and we've got just a slight incline on, in front of our house, but they come around, and they're about this old. They're, they're not real old. Um, but they've got these little three-wheel scooters, and they get up. They love it. They get up to the top of that hill, and they take off, man. And, and we all have the same thought. They're going to bust it. I mean, they're going to they're wipe out and just yard sale everywhere. So they're pushing up to the top. I catch the mom's eye. I'm just kind of watching because it's exciting to watch too because it's, it's, it's fun. And they turn around and here they go. Liggity split down the hill. And I, just about the moment they get going, I turn and I catch the mom's eye and I just kind of do one of those things where I just shake my head. And while we're shaking our head, we hear this blood-curdling scream. And it happened. The little girl busted. We both take off running. While we're running, she said, I was looking for her helmet. We couldn't find her helmet. It's the first time ever we couldn't find her. And all this is just going through her minds. And, and she gets there and she picks her up and she looks at her and she pulls her hair back and she's all over her and, and, and we don't see anything. There's nothing. There's no scrape or anything like that. And then she looks and she sees it and her knee it's got a scrape and it's bleeding just a little bit and you know what the mom said don't cry it's going to be okay why could she say that because it's going to get it's really it is it's going to be okay but for her it was the end of the world and for this woman in this passage, it is the end of life as she knew it. 
And Jesus speaking directly into this sorrow of this woman isn't telling her to deny her feelings, to stuff those emotions. Rather, he's speaking to those emotions and he's saying, there's something beyond those emotions that I want you to see. There's something greater beyond that. There's something even more beautiful that's going to allow you to not weep. And And he wants to get her, he wants to draw her attention to that. Nobody in this passage really sees the fullness of who Jesus is. Nobody. But as Jesus speaks directly to this woman with these words that assures her that he has reason to believe that there's no need to waste her energy and her emotion on these tears and sorrow in this moment, that Jesus speaks a word for the present based on a future reality that's coming. It reminds me of Psalm 126 where it says, Though we sow in tears now, one day we will reap with shouts of joy. But she doesn't understand all that. So it's just the quiet, don't cry, do not weep. Because we most likely have familiarity with Jesus enough to know what is coming, we understand this different. But for that woman, I wonder what that was like. Jesus' presence in the life of this woman means that he sees her, but he also speaks. But finally, he touches. Do you catch that? He sees this this. This funeral procession, he's, he deals with this woman with compassion. He speaks with compassion. And then he walks over to this, this casket that's being carried and he stops the procession and he just touches it. What do you do when you lose control? What do you do when, when you get frustrated because the coffee maker, you forgot to put the mug underneath it? What do you do when, 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 when your child gives you a bit of information that you were not ready for? How do you respond? Slam drawers. Maybe we won't slam them, but really aggressive. Doors. Voice gets elevated when you're trying to make a point. Why? Because you're out of control and you've got to do something to kind of recapture control, it seems. There's death and Jesus touches. (laughs) How beautiful is that? What's he mean by that touch? Is it it the touch that a mom gives a child when they're, 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 they're about to lose it and she's just saying, is it that kind of touch? Is it it the touch that just says, I got this? He moves straight into death. Jesus has risked the, he's emptied himself of, he's, he's allowed his emotions to be shown with this woman. 
compassion, the most descriptive word that's used of Jesus in, in the Gospels. He speaks with this tenderness. Now he acts and he risks the contamination of a dead body. And then he speaks. I say to you, arise. <laughs> How did he say that? I want to know. Arise! I, I don't know. I, but I, I have reason to believe that it's just the same way that he spoke to the woman. Hey, get up. <laughs> Death doesn't have a hold on you anymore. What a remarkable presence that Jesus is, right? A man that demonstrates compassion, looking into the eyes of the widow mother. Then he says, do not weep. And in the next moment, he's looking into the eyes of death, commanding the release of this son, this only son. So that is an amazing story. And if we stop right there, it's like great material for a sermon. And most preachers can take that and just deal with it and go... But that's not where it stops, and that strikes me as interesting. He could have got the guy, raised the dead, done, I'm out of here, book deal, you know, autographs later, whatever. I mean, he could have finished right there, and it would have been, it been beautiful, and it was beautiful. But he doesn't. And I think that's what points us towards maybe his purpose. I think these remaining three verses, verses um, pull back maybe the curtain on something that's even a little more glorious, a lot more glorious. It's almost as if he said resurrection is not the point. Like, I'm raising him for that, but that, there's a bigger point. What could, the, what could be bigger than that? Look at verse 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Wouldn't you would love to know what he said? One day we will. And then it says this. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus took the only son and gave him to his mother. I spent a lot of time thinking about this and imagining what it might might be the reason for this um, and from a human perspective you know things have been made right the woman was sad now her son's alive things are happy um, but for some reason Jesus sees the need to do this and Luke records it he records that detail we know that the crowd will respond with a couple of statements we see that later he says we have a prophet here among us. And the other declaration that God has visited his people. These comments likely are a reference to an earlier resurrection that's occurred in 2 Kings chapter 4 when Elisha resurrects the son of the Shunammite woman. They might, and most likely commentators and all 
the people smarter than I agree that there is probably some legend of this story circulating since it took place about three miles from where they are at that point. And while these statements are true, that indeed a prophet has, has come and that God has, has sent one to visit his people, they, they didn't even really know what they were saying. For Jesus was a great prophet. And he was the promised Messiah that has now shown up in their little town and demonstrated what he's come to do and why he's there. Luke 4.18 tells us, and we read about the, promise, or about the purpose of the promised Messiah. It's actually a quote out of Isaiah 61. Let me read what it says out of Isaiah 61 because it kind of gives you some other verses. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Jesus' purpose has been from the beginning to bring good news, to bind the brokenhearted, to set the prisoner free from the prison of death would be included in that, and to pour out the oil of gladness into mourning. I don't know why he gives the woman back, but I know I would have loved to have been there for that reunion because it would have been an expression of the oil of gladness that I think is talked about here. I think there would have been a great joy demonstrated there. There's another passage that comes to mind as I read this. It's at the end of your Bible. And it says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with and he will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Jesus gives this Woman, her son back, her only son, because that is the right order. That is the order that he has come to put in place. The resurrection prepares us for that reordering. The resurrection is the great reversal and it gives us a beautiful picture of what Jesus has come to do. He's come to bring a reversal and prepare us for glory. Glory that I would say will be spent eternity with the only Son. We sang a verse a while ago, and I never sung this song before, and it says this. Your labor is not in vain was a song. It's the last verse. It says, the houses you labored to build. I think Jesus is being pro-family here. 
He's going all the way back to creation and said, this is what I intended. This is right. This is good. I'm restoring that. That is my mission. That is why I've come. That is my purpose. The resurrection points us all forward to the day of the great reunion that we will have with Jesus. But I want to make this application as we kind of come in for a landing here. For those that are here today that are followers of Jesus, we have a Savior that, that walks and is just present in people's lives. Luke's gospel is about the global mission that he's got. And yet the way that, that Jesus scales that, that mission is not by big events and big parties and big campaigns. It's one-to-one relationships. There are some large group gatherings, but by far it's one-to-one. God has given you His Spirit if you're a follower of Christ. He has put His Spirit in you. I love what Paul says, into a clay pot. Take that. you got thin walls and cracks. And that glory, that good news, that gospel treasure shines out of those cracks into this world. But it just doesn't go out to nowhere. It goes out and it finds the cracks in the crack pots that you walk around every day. Because light finds brokenness. And God has called His people to walk in the midst of circumstances and situations like this, even when it's awkward, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard, because you are the body of Christ. And you feel, how can I do that? I don't feel capable of doing that. Let me suggest this. Think for a moment about the hardest, most difficult divine providence that you have in your life. It may be something that that marked you when you were young. It may be something you're dealing with now. What have you been through that has brought you to live on the sad side of life? For me... um, I'll give you a simple illustration of of one of the things that was on our hearts, um, but I'll move on to some other things. We had three sons, and I remember, um, I think we were eating at um, Lambert's Throwed Rolls, and my wife noticed that there was a family, and they had three sons. What do you think she noticed? She noticed that they didn't have a baby girl because that's what she had longed for with that third one, right? She had eyes to see that. Maybe it's like me who grew up in a divorced home and watched my mom work two and three jobs to raise and support a family. And so very often when I'm involved and I meet people and I find out that there is a single mom 
I become aware of things that are going on in their life. What is the greatest deficit that you found in your life? What is the greatest struggle? What is the greatest trial? Because I think that when we find those things, that what we may realize is that God may have brought those things into our lives for a reason. Maybe it's how alcohol broke up your family or how alcohol broke up your life. Maybe it's an addiction or an abusive relationship. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe it's a physical levitation. Maybe it's a lost loved one. Is it possible, could it be that God might have brought you through those particular situations so that He might now be preparing you or prepared you to give you eyes to see others within the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ that you are uniquely equipped to walk into and serve and love and speak. That because of your pain, your eyes are open and you're more perceptive. That as Jesus has walked with you through your trial, unbeknownst to you, you are becoming equipped to walk with others through that same. Jesus actually goes and and talks about this. He says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter will go on to write an epistle. Read it. In there he writes something like this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you will also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Brothers and sisters, there is great need to walk through life not ducking and dodging the things that you're dealing with, not just trying to get through them to the other side, but saying, Jesus, take my hand, guide me, walk through this, because God has a greater purpose, a purpose of redemption. And what we see in the story of Jesus who walks into our deepest and darkest pains just like he does in this situation in order that we may be strengthened and encouraged, that he enters our story so that we might be brought into his greater story, the story of redemption of all creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you take time, you take a lot of time uh, to walk alongside, to walk with, to speak into our lives, to bring friends into our lives that speak your words and truths, I thank you for those friends that you have given me through the years. And I pray that as this church looks out across the horizon of Louisville, Kentucky, that you would give them eyes to see. God, that you would give them courage to act. And God, that you would place words in their mouth to speak as they are given opportunity. We pray it in your name. Amen.